from Kirkco Media. So what you gonna do about it? When we named this show Meet Me in the Middle, it was contemplated that the subject matter would be issues of governance, like economic strategies, healthcare, guns, international relations with China or Russia, democratic strategies and Republican positions, all of which could arguably have a middle. You know, kind of a gray area where listening and injecting mutual respect could yield compromise, maybe even workable strategies. Sure, all those subjects still exist, but kind of in a background. For those of you who've been listening to this show from the beginning, you know, I tend to walk a line between being somewhat economically conservative, yet more liberal on social issues. But I bet you are too. You know, like, let's take care of our neighbors while being a fiscally responsible society. For the most part, our country's political system no longer has gray, or a middle. They're not about governance or planning, bettering our society, winning at all costs, fully polarized, destroying the other side, often at the expense of the people who want to be governed. Even inside our parties, there are veritable wars going on. Republican politicians have been empowered by a guy who couldn't even spell compassion, let alone have any for anyone else but himself. And while you could criticize their actions, saying they're bad for our lives, they promote hate, and they have very few redeeming characteristics, the fact is their strategy is working. They're just months away from likely taking back the majority at both the House and the Senate. And the crazy stuff? There is no middle on issues like January 6th or preserving our little d, democracy. Maintaining trust in our elections and ensuring that politicians work for and are answerable to us. We don't want a king. There's also no middle on how we should be treating each other, eliminating prejudice, racism, and getting rid of this damn pandemic. I look forward to the day when this show can get back to addressing controversies and reasonable political positions head on. But today, we're still here in the wake of a scorched earth strategy that was designed to get us all to hate people with different political priorities than ours, to stop us from listening to the other side and win at all costs. Today, we're going to talk some reality with Anthony the Mooch Scaramucci. He's a straightforward guy who hails from Long Island, where I grew up, and he's trying to navigate through these complex times, which is especially interesting given his once brief perspective working for the devil himself. Let's see if we can get some straight answers from him and see if there's a path out of this mess. This is Politics. Meet me in the middle. I'm Bill Curtis. My co-host once again is Jane Albrecht, an international trade attorney who's represented U.S. economic and business interests to high-level government officials in many countries. She's president of the local Democratic Club, but I'll keep her in the middle. And she's a member of the U.S. Supreme Court Bar, and she's been involved in several U.S. presidential campaigns. Hey, Jane, how you doing? Doing fine. Always good to be here, Bill. So our special guest, this is going to be fun, Anthony the Mooch Scaramucci. The Mooch, as he's known, is an American entrepreneur, a political consultant, best known for his brief stint in the White House as director of communications in 2017 for a whopping, I think, 10 or 11 days until he got his ass fired, of course. He's been a Republican, but he's supported Joe Biden in 2020. Were you a staunch Democrat, Anthony? I've been a lifelong Republican. I never switched my registration. I will say that I have voted Democratic over the course of my career. I see myself more as a centrist probably center right on business. I see myself way left on social issues, but you know, I did support Barack Obama. The Trump you knew and chose to work with, is that the same guy that controls the Republican Party now? Good question. I would say that he's always been the same guy, probably the way Rudy's always been the same guy. But I think as these people get older, whatever 
modifiers they had in their personalities fall by the wayside. So I've known him for 25 years, not the guy I thought he was going to be as president. So I have to own that for the rest of my life. You have to own the mistakes that you make in life. I've always said that in order to grow, whether you're an individual, a company, a country, when you do make a mistake, you got to realize it, you got to own up to it, and you got to make it better. We're in a situation right now where I don't see the Republican Party, not many of them willing to do what you've done. We're saying, whoa, I made a mistake. Jane, the mistake is working for them right now. The rhetoric and the nonsense is working. You've got to admit you're coming up 15 months away from the Republicans likely taking back the House and the Senate. So why should they change the rhetoric? So now we're getting into the world of political expediency and the world of political cynicism. So if you have some still soaring ideals or some optimism about the country and you have some principles, then the answer would be we have to change the rhetoric because you have to restore the republic. Every generation is fighting for their freedom and is fighting for the democracy. So you need leaders. You may dislike Liz Cheney. Okay, you may not like her policies. But Liz Cheney recognizes that the a priori, the number one priority is the preservation of the democracy. And so I respect her for that. I may not agree with her on every single thing. I don't agree with Adam Kissinger on every single thing or Adam Schiff on every single thing. But these guys are fighting for the democracy. So what's happened here is you've exposed two things going on at once. You've exposed the Southern strategy of the Republican Party an operation red map. And now you've discovered that what they know, that the whites are losing demographic power. And then rather than being entrepreneurs and being principled, what would an entrepreneur do in a situation like that? The beautiful, colorful mosaic of the country is changing. Let me adapt my ideas. Let me re-engineer my ideas to fit the country. But they've said, no, we don't want to do that. We're going to go for the white vote and the other people, we're going to make sure they don't vote. So it's white vote, don't vote, white vote, don't vote. And they have played that for four decades. You know, it's not Donald Trump. So you have to understand something, Bill, he's not the devil. He's another human being. You know who else is another human being? Adolf Hitler, another human being. I'm sorry to tell you that. You're putting them in the same mix? In some ways, yes. Would Donald Trump, due to sheer malevolence, do anything to maintain his power and his attention and his money? Yes. Okay, so in some ways, yes. Did history unfold the way it did in Germany to allow the full expression of Donald Trump's malevolence? No, because good people went to work against him. Good people spoke out against him. Good people campaigned against him. Very few people, I might add, that went to work for him, like I did, spoke out against them. Okay. They, they didn't. Now, if you had a independent level of wealth or your own career, you did. Rex Tillerson, John Kelly, John fired me. We became close personal friends. Jim Mattis, they spoke out against them. But if you had a tie to him politically or you had a tie to him from a money perspective, you did not. That's the politics of expediency preservation of personal power over principle. Those are all of the things that we're now facing as a society. We don't have a soaring leader of the Republican Party that can rebuild a coalition and that can denounce the way Winston Churchill denounced Nazism and was roundly ridiculed by the conservative party. They wanted to appease Hitler, and they thought that that was the right move. And Churchill said, no, that is not the right move. And we need to 
defeat Hitler. He's raw evil. And so those guys said no. So it's not like we're the only country or the only society that has been vexed with this sort of a dilemma. You mentioned Liz Cheney a couple of minutes ago. The Republicans voted 31 to 29 to throw her out of her positions because of how she looks at one man in his association or promotion of the January 6th insurrection. Is that party healable? I think the party's healable if they got the right style of leadership. The people that Trump is appealing to, I grew up with those people. I understand those people. My dad was a hourly worker and a crane operator. And I live still close to my family who are clamors, autoglass installers, deli men, pizzeria men, drivers for people. I get who he's talking to and they're angry and you can talk to them differently than Trump and help them. I grew up in an economically aspirational blue collar family. My dad was working his ass off. He thought one of his kids would go on to have independent wealth and seek the American dream. That very same job has a earnings power now 26% less. The wages have 26% less purchasing power. You took my father, aspirational blue collar family, and turned them into an economically desperational one. You see what happened? And so those people are angry. They feel that the society is failing them. And so when Donald Trump shows up with his Twitter account, and his fatso talk and his smart ass remarks and his like shock jocking, if you will. They love it because they're angry. They love it because the establishment has failed them. So they want to reject the medical establishment, the political establishment, the journalist establishment, the legal establishment. They don't want it. You're not helping me. So I would like to burn it to the ground. You think Trump is the problem? He's not the problem. He's a manifestation of a societal dilemma. You don't get a Trump unless it bubbles up from what I'm describing to you. Now, I thought incorrectly, again, have to own this for the rest of my life. I thought he was going to fix it. I thought when I was flying around on the plane with him and we were going into areas of the country where he was talking to my dad, but they happened to be 35 years younger than my dad. And we were going to New Mexico and somebody turned to me and said, hey, this ain't New Mexico, man. New New Mexico is Mexico. My job went to Mexico. I'm, not, I'm, I'm dying over here. I need help. I thought we were going to fix it. And we could have fixed it because we, we had the opportunity to create a postpartisan transformational presidency, but we had the wrong guy. What happened there, there was so many lies there. As you got to the bottom of this guy, he was an incredibly insecure guy. Okay, there's, a, there's an expression in Italian. You, you want to hear the expression in Italian? Una poco pichadel. You know what that means? The guy has a tiny, tiny schmeckle, okay? He's heard four words that no guy can survive. Jane, you want to hear the four words? Yeah. Is it in yet? Is it in yet, Donald? <laughs> it's destroyed the guy, okay? So you can reverse engineer and manifest everything about the guy's personality into those four words. We'll be right back with the mooch. We might not agree on everything, but we can certainly agree that life is too short to drink anything but great wine. Look no further than Iconic Wine Club. Iconic Wine Club will bring you a quarterly delivery of exceptional wines by truly iconic wineries. With each delivery comes a book that tells the story of the wines that are included and the people who make them. 
This experience is the next best thing to having a private tasting with a celebrated winemaker in the comfort of your living room or home cellar. And if you order now, the first delivery features a particularly iconic Napa Valley winery, delivering more than double the value of the cost of your first delivery. Sign up now at IconicWineClub.com. Iconic Wine Club, for your iconic moments. You know, Anthony, you seem like a do-something-about-it sort of guy, so I want to cut to the chase a little bit. In three years, if he runs again for this office, what are you going to do about it? I'm going to drop everything that I'm doing, and I'm going to campaign against him, and I'm going to build a coalition of what I think are normal people. I've started a pact called Americans for Common Sense, and I am going to enlist as many people as possible because I understand the math. We have to chip away as a group of people about 200,000 people, okay? Because, Bill, let me tell you something that should freak you, okay? Because you call the guy the devil, and he's not the devil, by the way. That should freak you more. He's just a very malevolent human being, okay? Because the devil, you're giving him a pass. He's a human being that's a very bad human being. The devil is like just giving him a two-dimensional pass. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to go after him systematically, because if you want to be freaked out, he only lost by 40,000 votes, Okay, so they said, oh, you only lost by 40,000 votes, so we're going to reset everything so now we can win the Electoral College. I worked with the lunatic Republicans. So let me tell you how these guys operate so everybody can understand what they're going to do, okay? They're going to recut things and redistrict and do everything they can to deploy what is called the tyranny of the minority. They're exploiting the virtues of the founders, what the founders said is we don't want to have a tyranny of the majority. So if it's a 60-40 vote, we don't want the mob to crush the 40. So we're going to create a system in place so that there'll be some representation of the minority. Therefore, Rhode Island's getting two senators, and so is the more populous state, New York. So you're going to have some representation that balances, okay? And so that was their goal. Oh, by the way, we don't want to have the popular vote for the presidency because these smaller states, they'll never see anybody campaign in them. So we're going to set up this electoral college, okay, to protect against the tyranny of the majority. The Republicans said, okay, I got this. We have a shrinking base. White people are aging. They're watching Fox News. They're buying catheters during the Fox News commercial interruptions and walkers. And so we got to get them to the polls. So here's what we got to do. We're going to exploit this and we're going to have four senators in North Dakota and South Dakota. That's four senators. It has the population of the island of Manhattan, but there'll be four senators in New York and California. And we're going to exploit this. We're going to look at the map and look at the districts and we are going to practice the tyranny of the minority to win. And they got destroyed in 2020 because of the understanding of some of these uh, Democrats. I want Stacey Abrams to run the New York Mets. I think she's the most talented person in the country. I've been a Met fan for 50 years. We can't win. Please, Stacey, come to New York. Be the general manager of the New York Mets. She will figure it out. She did a number on these guys. Okay, she got destroyed in 2018 by Brian Kemp. Okay, he figured out what to do. She said, okay, hold on a second. So for the whites, they get one voting booth for 600 people. Yes. 
the blacks, they get one voting booth for 10,000 people. Yes, that's how we do it in the state of Georgia. Okay, so the blacks have to wait online for 17 hours to vote. Yes, they have to wait online. And the whites just walk in. Yes, that's how it works in the state of Georgia. Okay, no problem. She lined it up. She got them all set up to vote early. They waited online for 17 hours. She's handing out water bottles on the line and she kicked their, you know, Watts in. I think you're right, Anthony, but I worry about 2022. I do not know numbers wise how the Democrats keep control of the House. They're losing. They're losing the House. But the other problem with the Democrats, hey, guys, what are you guys doing with your woke crowd? What are you guys doing over there? Okay, because the American people don't like that. You're going to let five or 10 percent of the people run the whole thing. What are you guys doing? So, you know, that's why Youngkin won in Virginia. You know, the, the people don't like that. They're somewhere in the middle. They just happen to be somewhat apathetic and cynical now about the political process. So, but Stacey Abrams, to me, I'd like her to be the GM of the Mets. But but if she's not going to be the GM of the Mets, let's roll out this plan so that we can combat the voter restrictions. Okay. Major League Baseball, Coca-Cola. I mean, these are real companies. They say, hey, you know what? We don't like that voter law that just went in place in Georgia. We're moving until you do something. It's a terrible situation to be in. The democracy is under threat like it has never been under threat before. And I'm not just saying that. I can give you the empirical data to prove it. But by the way, let's not be naive. Voter restrictions are as old as America. They're as American as apple pie. And both parties are guilty of it. A thousand percent. Let's look at reality. You know him a lot better than either of us. But the reality is most likely he'll finish destroying the Republican Party by pretending he's going to run. And he's not going to allow anyone else to set themselves up for a good race. Right. So his bank account is best served by keeping the question of his running open as long as possible. Right. Yeah. But let me tell you, these are not dumb guys. Right. So they're they're trying to figure out right now how to be swarm him and blow him up. Now, what they're really hoping it happens is the January 6th committee blows his ass up. And what they're really hoping it happens is he's got more tax issues. And the combination of all of this, they say, okay, listen, you're not going to get put in jail, but you can't run again. Do you think there's a shot at that, really? I'm not optimistic about it. 60-40, nothing happens to him. But I think there's a good 40% that something happens to him. Okay. And he knows that he's not stupid. He's broken every law that you could possibly imagine. He's gotten away with it his whole life. So you think on January 6th, he wasn't breaking laws. Of course he was. He was breaking laws the whole time. The question is, you see, and this is something I respect about Joe Biden. Okay. Because Joe Biden, when the Israelis put the prime minister in jail, very bad look for the Israelis. They're now putting the French president in jail. You remember the guy, Sarkozy. It's a very bad look because what ends up happening is you're jailing your political adversaries. It's like you're in an African banana republic, okay? You can't do that. And so, you know, Joe Biden doesn't want to jail the guy, okay? Joe Biden would like to hit the guy hard enough so that he cannot run again, so that we at least isolate him as a threat to democracy. But guys, are you paying attention? You've got Josh Hawley. You've got Ted Jackass Cruz. I could name them all. They see themselves as smarter versions of him. You think they care about a democracy? If I said to Ted Cruz tonight, you can preserve the American democracy or you could be president, what would you like, Teddy? What do you think he's going to say? I want to preserve the American democracy. That's more valuable to me. Please. The American people are electing these kind of people. 25% of the American people have said no mas. They said, Jane, Anthony, Bill, 
you guys, you're living in nice houses. I'm living in squalor. I don't like it. Henry Ford, you may not like the guy. He had a picture of Adolf Hitler on his desk. He was a little bit of a racist, as we know. But Henry Ford said something that should be the hallmark of social engineering. What did he say? I'm going to pay my workers enough money so that they can buy the car that they're making in the factory. By the way, I'm also going to pay them enough money so that they can own a house. And I'm going to build a good public school system for these people. Do you know why? Because I'm going to be eating caviar in my mansion in Dearborn, Michigan, and I don't want them descending upon it in tiki torches and pitchforks. So I'm going to pay them. And he figured out that that was the right thing to do. And then you had the noblesse obliged primarily to wasps after the Second World War. They said, you know what? We're going to have the GI Bill. We're going to have housing and we're going to have subsidies on the tax code for mortgage deductions. And we're going to give people from these immigrant families, the Scaramucci's, and you pick the people who had no right to go to college. We're going to give them an opportunity to experience this. And it's going to glue the country closer together if we do this. And they did that. So what do we do now to fix this problem? Not only what do we do, but Anthony, who's your horse? I think it's too early to declare a horse because I don't know who's running. I also think that there are opportunities here for people that you and I don't even know. No one knew who Barack Obama was until the 04 speech he gave, and no one really understood his path. And they thought he was running for HUD secretary at the time that he ran for president, right? And But he won the presidency. So we don't know. Is there a Republican Barack that can build a coalition that is a unique coalition that can denounce the fascism and the proto-fascism of Trump that can shake the blue-collar people literally by their collar and say, hey, knock it off. We have to build this together. But I'm telling you, three years is a colossal amount of time in politics. And are there people like that in our country? I do believe that there are people like that in our country. 2022 is going to be your best travel year ever. I'm Bruce Wallen from Travel That Matters, the podcast about the world's most exceptional and meaningful travel experiences. That African safari you've been dreaming about, that diving charter in Indonesia, the time for those epic adventures is now. The 2022 season of Travel That Matters takes you there and beyond. So join our adventure every other Tuesday from Kurtco Media. Quick lightning round. So you're a pro-vaccine guy. How do you stomach the Republican rhetoric on vaccines and why does it benefit them? I don't stomach it. I speak out about it regularly. I speak out about it on television. I speak out about it on social media and I put policies in place in my company that reflect that. Why does it benefit them? It benefits them because of the split in the country. They've got 25% of the people that have disaffected from the establishment which includes the medical establishment, and they're preying on them and they're preying on their ignorance. And they'll get those angry people to vote for them. What's the future of the economic relationship between the U.S. and China? I think short term, it's very negative. I think there's a, there's a cold war on. I think it's a five to seven year cold war, which will be won by the United States. Interesting. But it's negative right now. Do you think this administration can deploy trillions for an infrastructure package efficiently? No, nobody could. So it's not just the administration. Nobody could. There's only one way to do it, and no party's willing to do it that way. You have to set up a 
private-public partnership and you have to create a bank and you have to have literally a Federal Reserve chairman of infrastructure, and then you have to score the projects. Okay, not to bore everybody, but you have to understand if I'm a governor and you give me $200 million to fix the road and I got $200 million on my budget already to fix the road, I'm going to take that $200 million and fill another hole. Okay, so the scoring is going to be a net zero. You see that? Yep. That's why the Obama infrastructure shovel-ready job thing went nowhere. Okay, and so you actually need somebody, a protocol officer, to administer the program and to watch for that. Okay, and of course, that happened in the 1930s, which is why you got all those great public works. I can't believe I'm putting this one in the in the lightning round, but Dobbs versus Jackson's Women Health Organization case at the Supreme Court is actually entertaining. Centers on a Mississippi law that bans nearly all abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. Is Roe v. Wade settled law or it's back on the table? Well, it feels like it's back on the table. It should be settled law. It feels like it's back on the table. I'm worried about it. I am Roman Catholic, so I just want to point out I would prefer you to use birth control other than abortion, just giving my personal opinion. If you're going to have an abortion, I would really prefer you do it in the first trimester. I think doing it after that, particularly with the medical technology that we have now, I think it's bad. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you otherwise. That's my opinion, okay? I'm pro-choice. Your opinion is your opinion. It's settled law. I don't think we should be aborting fetuses in the ninth month. I'm sorry. I'm just going to tell you that I, I, if I, and by the way, I'll never be the governor of a state or something like that. But if I was, and you said to me, I had the power to block a ninth month abortion, I would. You know, this is a show that's called Meet Me in the Middle. You've got a good middle spot there, which I really respect, but I can't help it. How do you think this is going to turn out? I think that they're going to limit more abortions. I think there's going to be rhetoric in the opinion that's going to be taken upon that is going to limit the abortions. That's what I think. I don't think it's going to completely wipe out the law, but it's going to make the left very, very unhappy. Yep. So in your 11-day tenure with that administration, how did you feel about the idea of Donald Trump appointing all those judges to the Supreme Court? I thought that there was an unfairness to the process because what happened to Merrick Garland shouldn't have, now whatever you think of him now as the DOJ head, attorney general, the way they did that was a breach in the civility of the Congress. And so, again, they both suck at it. I'm not just going to indict one party. They both do it to each other. But if you wanted to go for the asshole test, the Republicans are ahead of the Democrats. I really do want to call it fairly. And so the Democrats ill-timed death of Justice Ginsburg, okay, cost the Democrats. But that also should tell you something, why the Republicans are fighting so hard to destroy the democracy, because the elections matter, and those court officials will be there for their lives. Okay. Easiest question of the night for you. Um, first of all, tell us about salt, and second of all, crypto. This is Doggies and Horsies. Explain to us how crypto works. Okay, so 30 seconds on SALT. Just go to SALT.org. It's a think tank and policy conference. We do it around the world, Singapore, Abu Dhabi, New York, Las Vegas. We've had some very highly profiled people, and it's been a lot of fun for me to do that conference for the last 14 years. I'll say three things about crypto. You have to do the homework on cryptocurrencies and the blockchain. You have to force yourself to understand it because it's going to transform the society 
whether you like it or not. If you don't understand it, you don't invest in it. If you understand it, you end up investing in it. It's just the way it works. I'm not going to be able to completely explain it to you in a short period of time, but I want you to think about it this way. It is a delayering mechanism for the economy. So if I walk into a restaurant and I pay for the meal and I now have a phone and I can click the phone and pay for the meal and bypass American Express, MasterCard, and Visa, I just save the restaurant door myself a 3% surcharge on the meal. Mm -hmm. And that is a massive delayering thing. To explain the blockchain in one sentence, it allows me to transfer value to you without a third party. And it allows the two of us to trust each other, even though we don't know each other and may not trust each other because the blockchain will absolutely deliver the value that I'm ascribing to you or back and forth. How can it really be secure? That is a technical question. And the only thing I can say to you is I want you to imagine that high school locker that they gave you in homeroom and they gave you that master lock. And I want you to imagine a trillion of those moving at the same time. And every time you add another block to the blockchain, you pick up another trillion of those. And so 12 and a half years since the inception of the blockchain, this amazing technological development has never been hacked, never been hacked. And, and trust me, a lot of people have tried to hack it, but it's constantly moving those locks and it makes it impossible for the computers to catch up to each other. So this is a phenomenal technological innovation. Mark Andreessen, that invented the Netscape browser said about the blockchain, wow, now that I understand that it's bigger than the Netscape browser. I'm going to leave you with one thought because you're both old enough to remember this. If you went to Europe in the 1980s, you needed to call your mom. You likely went to a phone booth at a post office. You went to Rome. You gave the guy $15. He let you talk to your mother for five minutes. Okay. It's 35, 36 years later, you can go to the cafe in Rome now, hook up to the Wi-Fi and you can talk to your mother for no money. That's about to happen to the whole financial services industry as a result of the blockchain. Are you comfortable with the idea of it remaining unregulated? No, I want it regulated, and it is being regulated. The, the, the SEC is coming in and regulating. It's being taxed as an intangible, and the SEC is regulating it. What about use of terrorist networks using it? There's another falsehood about it. I would encourage everybody listening to Google the Mike Morell white paper on the blockchain. Mike Morell, the former uh, CIA acting CIA director, was a deputy CIA director. He wrote a 25-page white paper explaining why cryptocurrencies are not used for illegal things. 99% of the time, they're not. You know what's used for illegal activity? The U.S. dollar. And, and, you know, listen, you know, if you want to read a great book on it, read Inventing Bitcoin by Jan Pritzker. You could read my book if you want. It's called The Sweet Life, How I Learned to Stop Worrying About Cryptocurrency. Is that a new book? Did it just come out? Brand new book. Is Mike Morell's paper on the internet? Mike Morell's paper is on the internet. That's my book. Oh, nice. I wrote it so that it's 100 pages so anybody can read it. Okay. It's a summary of what's going on. You got to get yourself up to speed on it. We will. Anthony, thank you for being with us. Guys, it's great to spend time with you. How else can people follow you? They can follow at MoochFM. They can follow me on Twitter at Scaramucci. Thank you so much. A little bit of housekeeping for you that are listening. Don't forget to hit the follow button so you don't have to hunt around for the next episode of Meet Me in the Middle. Thanks to our producer and editor, Joey Salvia. 
Uh, music for Meet Me in the Middle is composed and performed by Celeste and Eric Dick. And our executive producer for this episode is none other than Stuart Halpern. Hey, Anthony, thanks for joining. We hope you come back soon. Thank you. It will be okay. From Kirkco Media, media for your mind.